Welcome back to the G Truth, the one and only good truth out there. And I want to start off this podcast with uh, a segment that I'm going to call Real or Nah. So I'm going to go through different scenarios where I think it's reality and that's going to happen. Or if it's just not really going to happen, it's just out there or something like that. So I'm going to start off with the Browns as, as, future playoff, as, a, as a future playoff team. I think this is real. I think this is going to happen. I look at this team with Greg Williams instead of Hugh Jackson, and I see this team play with more energy and a lot more confidence, especially on the defensive side of things. There have been only two games during Hugh Jackson's time this season where the defense has allowed less than 300 yards. There have been four games like that with Greg Williams. There have been two games with Hugh Jackson this season where they have allowed 20 points or less. There have been four games like that with Greg Williams. This defense has shown up even more with Greg Williams. And I think that a lot of that has to do with Greg Williams gives them a lot more stability. And he's a lot more defensive-minded. He gives them a lot more stability as a coach since they don't have a lot of scrambling parts. They don't have the... Tension between Hugh Jackson, Todd, Todd Haley, going and destructing the team's mojo, stuff like that. But then he also lets Baker off the leash a bit, lets him do his own thing, and instead of what he was doing, where I think that he was trying to play a bit more conservative, running the ball, not really letting Baker do his thing. He started Tyrod Taylor at the beginning of the season, and he basically awarded Baker the second string job. And I think that that played a whole lot into Baker's development. And I think that right now he needs Greg Williams because he's the bit more stable coach and will allow him to continue to progress along in his career. Uh, if I look at Baker's touchdown and interception ratio, just that, comparing that between with Greg Williams and Hugh Jackson, with Hugh Jackson, he's 8-8. He has eight touchdowns, six interceptions in six games with you. With two interceptions in two games, both against the Chargers and the Raiders. Now if I look at it with Greg Williams, also with six games, 13 touchdowns, five interceptions, way better. Three of those interceptions came against Houston, where I think he just played just flat out horrible, and they got destroyed that game. But take that away. He's been spectacular with Greg Williams. And if I look at the Browns season, most of those games that they were in were winnable games. Take the Steelers game at the beginning of the season. If they have a competent kicker, they can win that game. They probably do win that game. Same thing against the Saints. They probably win that game. Against the Raiders, they should have won that game with Baker. But then, you know, I'm just, I don't want to get into the refing too much. But the refs kind of blew that one because they had the first down on that. But I think that the Browns can be future can be a future playoff team as long as they keep Greg Williams and they continue developing Baker Mayfield into what I believe he can be. Because right now we are going into week 16 and the Browns still have a shot at making the playoffs. It's a long shot, but it's the closest shot they've had in a long time. Let's move on to the Eagles. Are the Eagles 
the real deal with Nick Foles? I'm going to say yes. I'm not going to say that they're going to go all the way to the Super Bowl again. I'm, I'm going to say that they're going to make the playoffs. I think that they have the capability of being a lot more offensively balanced. And their defense has been pretty underrated this, this year. I think what Nick Foles does for this offense is far more different than Carson Wentz. I'm not saying Carson Wentz is worse than Nick Foles and Nick Foles is better than Carson Wentz. I'm not saying that. Carson Wentz is by far the better quarterback than Nick Foles. But I think Nick Foles spreads the posing defense out a lot more than Carson Wentz does and he's a lot less predictable. A lot of that has to do with the coaching, the RPOs that that, that, that is called for him that I don't see for Carson Wentz run as much. Zach Ertz with Carson Wentz has four games with over 100 receiving yards. That is extremely predictable. He has by far the most targets on the whole team. Now Zach Ertz with Nick Foles in three games had 48 yards against the Falcons, 94 yards against uh, the Buccaneers, 22 yards against the Rams. He's not as targeted as much as Carson Wentz targets him. He he gets a lot more, he gets a lot less catches with Nick Foles than he does with Carson Wentz, and that helps spread out the offense so that like the defense has to cover other wide receivers. You see Alshon Jeffrey with Wentz. He only has had one game out of the ten games that he's played with Wentz with over hundred yards. This past weekend, against the Rams, his first game this season with Nick Foles, 160 yards. That helped spread out the defense. It helped spread out a defense in the Rams that was already underperforming this whole season. And made them look even worse. Now, I think that this could work with Carson Wentz if and only if Carson Wentz does what Nick Foles is doing, and starts passing it out to different wide receivers. And if this offense starts con- and continues to give a good mixture, a good healthy mixture of running and passing the ball, whether it's through RPOs or just straight up just running down the middle or whatever it may be, but it has to be a healthy mixture. It cannot just be Carson Wentz throwing the ball. They become way too predictable that. Now I'm going to be looking at the NBA sort of perspective of things. I'm going to talk about the Pacers. Are they an Eastern Conference threat? I think they are. I think they're a sneaky underdog. They were on a seven-game winning streak before they lost to the Cavs and Raptors. Now I think that, that they're lost against the Cavs where the Cavs hit a game-winning shot with Lance, uh, no, not Lance, uh, Larry Nance Jr. getting a buzzer-beater tipping, yeah. I think that was more of a fluke game. This game against the Raptors, they were, they were up, and then they lost by three. But I think that they have the capability of beating the Raptors in the playoffs. Maybe not a seven, but definitely taking them six, seven games. As they're a well-rounded team with All Depot as a centerpiece star. And throughout this whole stretch, Miles Turner has been playing pretty well. 
and around Old Depot they have decent three-point shooting threats, I guess, because they have Bogdanovich around him, uh, Old Depot himself. I think Miles Turner can also shoot the three a bit, but he can spread the spread the four a bit. Then he has Sabonis who can also spread the four a bit. Not a great three-point shooter, but he can spread the four. And also Sabonis, uh, Donatus Sabonis, I always forget how to say his first name. He's been playing extremely well off the bench. He's definitely up there in, in six-man-of-the-year conversation. He's been consistent, getting rebounds, leading them, them back up. But overall, I think this contributes to the Pacers team overall. They're 14-5 and five against the Eastern Conference. And I think that helps them a lot. Because on that seven-game winning streak, they beat the Bucks. They beat really, really good teams that they can potentially meet in the playoffs. Additionally, they're second in defensive rating. And I think that Oladipo is one of the more underrated defensive players. And I think that he should definitely be up there for, for uh, not defensive player of the year, but for all... All, all defensive team, yeah, that's what it is. But I think that that contributed a lot to their seven-game winning streak, where they beat the 76ers, blew out the Bucks, they blew out the 76ers, Bucks, they beat the Wizards, they beat the Kings, they beat the Magic, they beat the Bulls, and that was really it, really. But still, those three teams, Kings, Bucks, 76ers, good offensive teams that they slow down to less than 101 points. They didn't score a lot. The Pacers didn't score a lot. They're not a high-scoring team. But they're a good defensive team that can score enough points to make sure that they beat you. They're also fifth in three-point shooting right now. Which shows even more that they're spreading out the floor. Which allows them to kick it out to whoever they need to. And they still have the threat of being good enough three-point shooters. Or, yeah, good enough three-point shooters. Statistically, that forces defenses to come out to them. Which allows them to drive into the paint. Do whatever they need to do, passing-wise. And get an easy dunk, mid-range, another three-point shot. Whatever it is, it helps facilitate their offense. Now, I want to talk about the Rockets. Can the Rockets sneak back into the playoffs? I think they already have this with this uh, five-game winning streak. They beat the Jazz, Grizzlies, Lakers, Trailblazers, and Wizards. And I said it last time I talked about the Rockets when they beat the Trailblazers that that was a return to their identity because they hit the three ball and they got into the paint. And also they played a lot better defense during this uh, five-year winning streak. During this streak, they have allowed an average of 105.4 points. Defensively, they're getting a lot better. And that number only got inflated because against the Wizards, a lot of it was garbage time because they blew them out. Harden has been putting up MVP numbers as well during this five-game winning streak. 29, 50, 32, 47, 35 points. That 50-point performance was also a triple-double. That's insane. This Rockets team is 
going to return to the playoffs. Like I said, they're starting to return to their former self where the three balls starting to drop. They're averaging 15 three-pointers made over the streak, including the 26 three-pointers that they hit against the Washington Wizards, which is an NBA record, which they previously held last season. Again, they're returning to their previous selves and their previous identity. Whether that can hold in the playoffs against the Warriors, against top teams, that that is to be determined. But right now, it's working perfectly. And I don't want to get into the raffing situation with James Harden, where he gets all these weird calls for him. He does all these traveling things. I don't want to get into that. But I see this Rockets team, and I see them returning back to their former selves, where they shoot the three ball well, they push it down in transition, look for the three, or look for the easy dunks or easy layups. Nothing nothing in the mid-range, which I think can cost them, but it's more of their ident- identity right now, and that's more important. All right, now I'm going to follow up with another segment that I'm going to call Figuring Things Out. Now, I'm going to start off with who I believe will take that sixth seed in the AFC. So right now it is the uh, playoff picture for the AFC is Kansas City at number one, Texans at number two, Patriots at three, Steelers at four, Chargers at five, and Ravens at six, Colts at seven. Now I'm going to have the Colts as my sixth seed in the AFC with either the Ravens or the Steelers coming out. I don't know which one yet. I really do not know because both of these teams can easily lose out. But I have the Colts sneaking in with the sixth seed in the AFC. And if I look at their schedule, comparing all three of their schedules, the Colts' last two games of the season are against the Giants and the Titans. Are they going to win those? Hell yeah. They're not going to lose those. Against the Giants and the Titans? Oh my goodness. Those are going to be easy Ws. And if they don't get it, then they're not, getting, they're not getting into the playoffs. That's simple enough. But they are. It's, those are pretty gimme games. Now, the Ravens' last few games are against the Chargers and the Browns. Those are two tough teams. I don't think that they have the capability of winning against the Chargers. They could beat the Browns. But the way the Browns have been playing had a toss-up for me. Now, the Steelers finished off against the Saints and the Bengals. Okay, we can shock the, the game against the Saints up as an automatic L. They're, they're not winning that one. They're, they're not. The, the Saints defense has just been way too good. And the Saints' run defense has been spectacular. Steelers aren't getting that offense going against the Saints. And now against the Bengals, I think they can win that game, but it's going to be a dogfight because it always against it, it always is with the Steelers and Bengals. But they, but the Steelers usually win those, uh, especially when it gets tough and dirty. So I'm gonna have the Steelers winning that, but I still have the Colts sneaking into the playoffs with the sixth seed. Now they've been on fire offensively, which has given Andrew Luck a very convincing MVP case. And their defense has slowly been coming along. It hasn't been perfect, but it's been holding teams down when it matters the most. And this has happened especially with 
the Colts going 8-1 over their last nine games with their with their only loss in that stretch against the Jaguars where they lost 6-0 and with Andrew Luck being shut out. Now, now, do I think that game's a fluke? Yes. Yes, I do. There's no way Andrew Luck's ever getting shut out like that again. Just nothing really worked for them that game. You, you look at the play-by-play. They got into the into Jaguars territory, but I guess they thought that they were able to maybe get some future uh, scoring possessions. Never really happened, and they just tried to go for it on fourth down several times. Didn't really work out. I, I'm going to chalk that up as a fluke game. And I think that that's not going to happen again, and I think that the Colts are going to easily take the sixth seed in the AFC, especially with the way that their schedule looks and with the Ravens and Steelers' schedule looking a bit more difficult. Now, I'm going to go on to a bit more difficult topic. With the Steelers and Patriots game, Steelers won 17-10 in Pittsburgh. Ending their three-game losing streak prior prior to that game. Now, my question is this. Does this show that, that the Steelers are, are a legit playoff team and that they should be a force reckoned with in the AFC playoffs? Or is this more of the Patriots hitting a speed bump and kind of slipping and sinking a bit? I'm going to say it's the Patriots sinking and slipping a bit. Now, now the Steelers were on a three-game losing streak. Before this Patriots game. They lost to the Broncos, Chargers, and Raiders. How do you lose to the Raiders? How? How do you lose to the Raiders? The Raiders are trash. They just picked up Nathan Peterman. That's where they are at with their franchise. They just picked up Nathan Peterman. How do you lose to that franchise? The Chargers and Raiders losses were complete debacles. They lost against the Chargers in Pittsburgh, prime time, blowing a sixteen point lead, and then their and then their loss against the Raiders was just hysterical. Chris Boswell goes up to go kick a field goal that would send the game to OT, and he slips, and the field goal gets blocked. How does that happen? This team is an absolute joke with with the way that they've been playing down the stretch. has been absolutely terrible offensively. The, the, their offense has been complete. I don't even know. It's just been horrible. But I will say that, that Steelers' defense played extremely well against the Patriots and, and played how they should against a 41-year-old Brady. Getting pressure on him. Making him feel that pressure. And since he's 41 years old, he does not want to get injured. does not want to take a big hit. And he throws the ball away. They played defense pretty well. And they came up with the right idea. Also, I think that they did another thing that really just returned to their identity. But didn't really make them... Or didn't really show me that they're, you know, really good uh, AFC contenders. They're 7-0-1, basically undefeated, when they run the ball over 20 times in the game. Undefeated. That is remarkable. That, that means that they're controlling the clock, 
and that helps them spread the offense around. And and they did that against the Patriots, but even though it didn't spread the offense around, it did help keep the ball out of Tom Brady's hands and limit the Patriots' opportunities. And especially with the way that the defense was playing, it, it helped a lot. And what that did, I believe, is that that returned to... It, it helped them return to a trend that they didn't have during that three-game losing streak. And as well as the game before that three-game losing streak. And their defense showed up big time, even with Big Ben throwing those two interceptions in that game. So I think a lot more credit goes to the Steelers' defense. A lot less of it goes to the Steelers' offense. But I think that they need both in order to be considered serious AFC contenders. And those three losses against the Broncos, Chargers, Raiders really stuck with me and has in this win against the Patriots hasn't really convinced me that they're anything more really. Now for the Patriots in this case, they have not been playing horrible this whole season, but they have been shaky and this game just continued to show it. I mean the Patriots lost against the Titans. And the Titans have been all over the place this whole season. They've been good some games, good and bad other games good the next, bad the next. Just on and off throughout. And then they lost the, the Steelers team that has also been very similar. On and off. Offensively and defensively. And I think that this game showed more of, not Brady's age, but more of just where his mentality is at. The key play I want to focus on is when they're in the red zone. And Brady has the ball. He, he's looking looking for, for someone to throw it to. And he sees the pressure come. He's about to get sacked. So he just lobs the ball away. Hoping that it goes out of bounds. And it's an incomplete pass. Nothing bad happens. But what happens instead? He chucks the ball away. And Joe Hayden picks it off. Joe Hayden makes an incredible interception. Somehow keeps both feet in bounds. But that's not the point. Brady, rather than, you know... Not Rather than throwing the ball into the dirt, decided to throw the ball or tried to throw the ball into the stands and didn't work out. And it got intercepted and cost them what could have been a field goal, what could have been a touchdown, an opportunity. But also, their defense wasn't perfect by any means. The Steelers' last drive was where where they got the field goal to to put them up seven. They ran the ball a lot with Jalen Samuels. And that Patriots Stevens just could not stop them. They, they, they got him down to third down. Third and long. And then the Steelers converted. If you are going to be an AFC contender, your defense needs to make sure that the offense punts in those situations. The Steelers ran for 158 yards that game. They controlled the clock, and they exposed the Patriots' defense, and exposed Brady, Brady's mentality of not wanting to get injured, and and how he threw the ball away. And I think that this shows more of the Patriots' sinking, and has more of an impact on the Patriots, especially when it comes to the playoffs, as they are three and four when they are on the road in the playoffs, and those four losses 
were against solid defenses, and those three wins were against an injured Phillip Rivers and the Steelers. And and by injured Phillip Rivers, I mean Phillip Rivers with the torn ACL. Four losses against solid defenses in the Denver Broncos and the Colts. And I think that we see that a lot in the AFC. With good pass rushers, especially with the Chargers this season. Okay, I'm going to move on to Jared Goff and his struggles these past two weeks against the Chicago Bears and the Philadelphia Eagles and why he has been struggling. Now, I'm going to go over some stats really quickly. And I think this has to do a lot with the Eagles and, and Bears defense. Chicago has allowed the third least amount of points in the NFL. The Eagles are not so great in that category, but they do great job elsewhere, and they they, they do a great job elsewhere. And they're a very well well rounded defensive team, especially when it comes to that defensive line and that linebacking core. Chicago is second in running D, and in Philadelphia is. At 11, which means that they prevent the run extremely well. And when you have a big guy like Khalil Mack and a big big guy like Akeem Hicks on on the Chicago Bears, it it is extremely difficult to run on them. And then and then we have big guys on the Eagles squad like Michael Bennett, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Chris Long, who all can do the exact same thing, all can share the block, all can get to the running block, running back. It makes it very tough to run. Philadelphia allowed 82 rushing yards total to the Rams. 48 of those were from were from Todd Gurley. Chicago allowed 52 rushing yards. 28 of those were from Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley has been having a spectacular season this whole year, but in those two games, he was a combined. I believe 76 yards. 76 yards from Todd Gurley. Rushing. Not, not total scrimmage yards, which includes passing, but just rushing. And that's a majority of the Rams' attack, as they were averaging 139.4 rushing yards per game prior to those two games against the Chicago Bears and Philadelphia Eagles. Their, their identity of running the ball Got taken away from them. And what that does is that it forces Goff to throw, and that offense becomes one-dimensional. And now, going back to those pass rushers, Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, on, Akeem Hicks on the Bears, Michael Bennett, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Chris Long on the Eagles. They can all get to the quarterback and running back. And when that offense becomes one-dimensional, it makes their job a whole lot easier because they can just keep on getting to the quarterback. And what that does is that Jared Goff is not able to rely on, on Todd Gurley to rack up those easy yards. He has to throw it downfield, it's, and he misses if, he, if that pressure is right in his face or he has to throw it away, which sets him up for third and long situations. Punts come from that because then they're even more predictable. But then also... He isn't able to set his feet. 
and he leaves his throws short and kind of weak. And I think that's the main reason why he's been struggling. It's just that he's been playing against top-tier defenses that know what he's what, what the Rams' offense is going to do and what they rely on and how they operate and how to stop them. Now, what I think that that's going to benefit him is that if they beat... I, I don't really remember this schedule. Uh, oh, or... Uh, their last two games are against the Cardinals and the Niners. They should easily win those games and lock up a first round bye. And I think that's gonna especially help them when when it comes to when it comes to the playoffs, as Sean McVay can make adjustments and go back and look at the film and figure out how to make that running game more effective against top tier defenses because they will encounter top tier defenses, whether it be the Saints, Bears. Vikings, Eagles, whoever it may be. They will encounter them again. Seahawks, they will face them again in the playoffs, and they got to be ready again. Now, I want to move on, and, I, and I'm going to make this quick, to my MVP candidates for the year. I'm going to list five. Uh, no specific order, just five that come to mind. I'm going to start off with Phillip Rivers. Up until, I believe, two weeks ago, he was the only quarterback with multiple passing touchdowns in every single game. Two or more t- passing touchdowns in every single game. Mahomes hasn't done that. Breeze hasn't done that. Luck hasn't done that. Brady, Rodgers haven't done that. He has taken this Chargers team that missed the playoffs last year after starting 0-4 last season, starting... I forgot what it was, but horrible this year. One in three or something like that. And has taken them to potentially take the first round by. The, the number one seed. Now, a lot of that goes to coaching, but I have, him at, I have him as an MVP candidate. Next on the list is Patrick Mahomes. And his stats speak for itself. These are historical stats. He he could easily end, end the year off with... With, with with stats that only Peyton Manning has ever had. Over 5,000 uh, passing yards and over 50 uh, passing touchdowns. Only only Peyton Manning has done, ever done that. So his stats speak for itself. Not really any argument there. Now, Drew Brees. Even though he's kind of slipped off the, these past few weeks without scoring so much. Uh, and really it's him, Alvin Kamara, um, Mark Ingram. Michael Thomas, all of them has, have not been playing that well, but that defense has playing, been playing extremely well. But I still give him a lot of credit, and and I put him up there with the MVP candidates for what he has done for the other part of the whole season, for the other part of the whole season, the first half of the whole season, up until these past two or three weeks, where he's been kind of not his perfect self. Now, the candidate... Now, the candidate that I'm very surprised about and very intrigued by is Andrew Locke. This Colts team was nowhere near making the playoffs early on in the season. They were looked at as maybe getting six wins, five wins. A lot of sports analysts had them winning four or six games. I 
before the season started, questioned that. I was like, what? What? With Andrew Luck coming back? That that team can make the playoffs. And especially with, with, with the way that they've been playing, like, like I said before, they, they are my sixth seed in the AFC. And a lot of that has to do with Andrew Luck, who has been posting up MVP numbers. Now, if this was not a quarterback-driven lead with MVP candidates left and right being quarterbacks mainly, my defensive MVP, straying away from that, is Khalil Mack. I have no idea why, why the Raiders traded him. Because they didn't want to pay him. But you gotta pay this guy. He has transformed this Chicago Bears defense, and and, and we knew that, and we knew that the uh, Chicago Bears defense was good last year. But he has taken them to a whole another level. He has helped this team win games. Games that they have no business winning. He has tra- transformed transformed them, like I said, to a team second in Rundy. And a team that allows the third least amount of points. Their passing defense is is not so great. But where he has severe impact is the run defense, which allow which helps in preventing points as teams are not able to run the ball, get down the field as easily. It it, it definitely he definitely has played a huge factor in the Bears and their playoff hopes. And that will conclude this episode of the G-Truth. Peace out.